Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. We're in part two of this series, Explore God, and uh, if you weren't with us last week, I just want you to know that um, this is a series that's not just being done by us, uh, but this is a series that's being done uh, throughout churches all over the Chicagoland area. In fact, I think there are about 850 participating churches uh, that are participating in this series, and uh, we love this idea that we're trying to connect with our community because we're tackling tough questions that many of us often ask about life and also about God. Uh, we ask a lot of these questions that we've been asking. And last week, the question that we worked through was, does life have purpose? You remember this, does life have meaning? And the answer to that is, there is no answer. That it's only within your perspective that life finds meaning. And I don't have time to unpack all that. I don't have time to hash out everything that we talked about. But I would suggest, if you missed last week and you're interested in that conversation, then, then go to our website. You can find our podcast. You can listen to that on the way to work um, and listen to that again. But But what I love about this series is this is not a series to prove our faith. This is not a series to give a bunch of answers to people. In fact, the reason why I'm really excited about this series is this is a discussion. And there are many of you out there uh, that maybe feel like you're the only one that asks these questions. Does life have meaning? Does God exist? And I just want you to know that if you've come into this place, regardless of how churched you think people are, regardless of how much you think they have it together, you're not the only one asking this question because they've been asking this question as well. I just want you to know we are in this together, that as we tackle these questions, this is not something that just you personally are thinking about, but this is something that all of us think about from time to time, and it's something to reflect on. In fact, it was so interesting. Uh, During devotions this week, I started out this week in a psalm, and it says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, which I thought to myself, am I a fool? And then I realized he said, in your heart, which is completely different from your mind. And I want you to know that if you question God's existence, at least in your mind, that is perfectly and wonderfully okay. In fact, I often say that the people who ask the most questions make the best Christians. They make the best followers. And so today, the big question that has been asked for hundreds, if not thousands of years that we're working through today that we still don't have answers to is, does God Exist. That's the big question for today. And so, if you would, would you pray with me as we begin this time? Lord, we extend these next few moments to you, and we acknowledge that these are your moments, and we pray that you would fill them. Uh, I pray that you would be with me uh, as I begin to preach. This is a daunting task. This is a question that's been asked throughout the course of history. And of course, we know how difficult it is. So, we pray that you'd be in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start this question by asking you a question. How many friends do you have? How many friends would you say that you have? How many of you say, I've lived life long enough to know that um, most of the people that I encounter from day to day are just acquaintances? And I could probably count all my friends on one hand. I've got a lot of people raising their hand on that one. Yep. You, you know that I could count maybe five people on one hand. How many of you would say, you know, I think I'm fairly likable, so I'll just give myself two hands. I think about 
a dozen people what I would consider my friends. How, how many of you would say, wow, there are only a few of you pick those two, so I'm assuming the rest of you have lots of friends. How many of you would say I have 25 or more? I'm just really, really likable. I've got 25 or more. Okay, thanks, Jeannie. By the way, welcome, Samuel. Welcome to your first sermon, buddy. What a good one to join us on. 25, yeah, I've already put him to sleep. Thanks, Dan. 25 or more. Okay, a few of you, how many of you would say I have well over 100? I have 100 friends in my life. No, 200, 300, 400, what about 500? Do we have any 500s in our, okay, well, I know Austin in the last service raised his hand. He said, I have over 500 followers. I have over 500 friends. And my question to that was, okay, out of those 500 friends, how many of them are face-to-face, and this really goes for all of you who are on social media, how many of those friends are personal face-to-face relationships? How many of the relationships that you have, you would say, typically we go out for coffee once a week, typically we meet up for lunch, I have them over for dinner, we hang out, we play video games, whatever it is you do when you do with your friends, um, you would say, yeah, that's, those are my friends, that, that's what I do with the most of them. Or how many of you would say, no, the majority of my friends, the people that I would consider my friends, the most of them, our interaction takes place over Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is that you use, avenue you use to connect with people and talk with people. I wonder how many of you in, in that process of gaining all those friends and having over 500, which I don't know how you keep up with 500 people. I can barely keep up in my own life. Can't imagine trying to figure that out with 500. Um, how many of you have ever considered the power of a friend request? How many of you have ever considered the fact that you gain those 500 friends either because you've requested or somebody has requested you to be your friend? And here's what's interesting. It is far better in social media to receive than it is to give. It is far better in social media to receive friend requests than it is to send friend requests. And here's why. Let's just be honest. You love the fact, and we we love the fact, that we have a disproportionate ratio of people that follow us than people we follow. Right? Nobody ever comes up to you and says, wow, you follow over 500,000 people. No, they don't, they don't, they're not marveled by that. They're not excited about it. They say, wow, over 500,000 people follow you. And we love that. In fact, you know when you've gotten a notification or you see the numbers hanging above the, the icon that lets you know you've had a friend request, you get excited because there is this sense that people, people think that you are valuable enough, they think you are worth it, that they would want to invite you into their life. In fact, in a friend request, they are making their way to you. They are pursuing you. And they're saying, I think that you are worth You are worth sharing life's precious moments with. And here's what's interesting, and here's why we love to receive the request, because you hold all the power in the relationship. If somebody sends a friend request to you, you know that you can ignore it, you can stare at it and think about you whether you want to add them or not, or you can decline it, or you can accept it. You hold all of the power And so it's interesting, when we receive requests, we are being pursued and we hold all the power. But put yourself on the other side of that. How many of you can think back to the time you sent your first friend, follow, like, whatever it is? 
And you remember the moment that you were like, oh my goodness, I don't really know them that well. They're kind of a friend with a friend and I hope they'll just be my friend because they got a lot of followers and they're pretty cool. And so you send the request and you remember in that moment how vulnerable it was and how humbling it was that you were wanting to share your life with them. You were making your way to them because you thought they were worth sharing life with. And so you sent it. And you wondered on the other end if they were ignoring or they were staring or like, do I really want this person to be my friend? Why are they begging me so much? Those are some weird ones when they keep sending them over and over and over. And you're like, don't you understand? No. But you're wondering on the other end like, Man, it's really hard for me to extend this because I'm opening up myself to you and I'm wanting you to know more about me. You make your way to them. So you're saying, what in the world does friends have to do and friend requests have to do with does God exist? Well, here's an interesting thought, and I typically don't do this, but I thought it would just be a good starting point. I had no clue where to start when I started this message. In fact, I didn't like the suggestions that were given to us. And so here's where I started, and I'm going to read it to you because I can't say it without reading it. And I think it will just be helpful to us to understand where we're headed. I wrote, um, as a pastor, when I stand before you tackling this tough question like, does God exist? There's this sense that you go into a message feeling like you have something to prove, something to defend, something to argue. You go into this message knowing that you have no way of making someone see it your way. You know that all the science, all the philosophy, all the arithmetic, all the hypothesis, even the Bible itself is irrelevant and thrown out the window when someone who doesn't believe isn't even thinking about asking this question. In fact, to start it, it was suggested today that we talk about science and philosophy, and we talk about people who were once atheists who turned Christians, and, and we were to make this huge argument that God exists. And, and if I'm honest, and this is what I wrote, if I'm honest, I get just a little bit annoyed with people who claim to be followers of Jesus and people who claim to be Christians who seemingly think that they can argue their way to God. I mean, I get a little irritated with people who think they can make their arguments as a way of pushing others to God and toward God. And what often happens is we embarrass them and we belittle them in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people in our attempt to argue our way to God. Could you not, in this series, there's a video that it's not too long after the bumper on YouTube, and it's this guy arguing his position on why God exists in front of thousands of thousands of people, and he makes this kid who's an atheist, and he's just a kid, and he's just asking a question, makes him look like an absolute fool. And I'm wondering, does this question exist in the first place because we're too busy arguing about it? And so I wrote... I've come to this conclusion. I'm convinced that we cannot argue our way to God. We can't. You cannot argue your way to God, but you can make the case that God is making his way to you. That's all I have. Let's go home. Totally kidding. 
Some of you would be excited about that. But that is the main point for today. If you have to leave, if you've got to go, if you're afraid that there's more snow coming, hey, listen, that's all you need to know. God is making his way to you. We cannot argue. I can't, make a, I can't stand up here and argue and argue and argue about God's existence. I can only make the case that God has made his way to each of you. And so to do that, we're going to look at a few words written by John, spoken by Jesus. And I know that most of you know who this writer John is. Some of you are like, who in the world is John? Well, John was one of Jesus' closest followers. And the interesting perspective about John's relationship with Jesus is that he was let in on conversations that many other followers, even close followers of Jesus, were not allowed to sit in on. In fact, Jesus shares personal and private information with a few, like a select few of them, because he knows if this gets out, there's a good chance that he's going to be. And so he doesn't share it with a lot of people. He shares it with a select few. And John reaches back into his memory bank. He reaches back and he pulls out these words that Jesus is about to share with us. He pulls them out and he knows, he knows that these are not just words. These are not just words that some man spoke a long time ago. See, what separates Jesus for John is not that he was a revolutionary or a Messiah or a prophet. There were tons of people who came before Jesus that were revolutionaries. It wasn't that Jesus said, hey, I'm the son of God. I mean, there were plenty of people, including Caesar himself at this time, who said, I am the son of God. In fact, it wasn't the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Truth be told, there were thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who were crucified day after day after day on the cross. Every day. And what separates Jesus from John and the reason why he knows that they're not just words is because not only was Jesus a revolutionary, not only did he claim to be God's son, not only was he resur- or excuse me, uh, died on the cross for us, but for John it was the fact that Jesus predicted his death and he said that he would come back from the dead and that he would defeat death. And John looks back and says, there is no way that if this was just a human being, if this was just a human being, these words would have no significance. And John knows for a fact that he walked into this empty tomb and because he did that, he sits down at the end of his life. He's like a really old man when he begins to write his account of Jesus' life. And I'll be honest, if none of this was true, if none of this ever happened, I would not be wasting my last few moments of life writing some account of something that never actually happened. I mean, think about it. Uh, you're, You're people that you've lost in your life. People who are dying Right? They want to be with the ones that they love the most. And they share with you the greatest advice they can give that they've experienced throughout life. So why in the world would John, at the end of his life, want to sit down and write about the life of Jesus? If this never happened in the first place. And so John begins to share with us this amazing, this amazing story that I think for some... Actually, it changed my perspective It changed my perspective. The other day, somebody sat in my office and they asked me. I was telling them, sometimes, like, following God, being a pastor feels like you're enslaved. It just does. And he said, what's the difference between being enslaved and being a servant? And I said, aren't they, like, one and the same? Like, is there really a difference? And I kid you not, the next next morning I sat down, and these are the words. These are the words that John wrote that he heard from Jesus. 
changed it for me. Even though I've been a follower for Jesus eight years, even though I'm a pastor, this is what changed my mind that Monday morning. And here's what Jesus says. You are my friends. You are my friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know. In other words, they haven't experienced, they don't belong, they would never understand, they would never begin to fathom a master's business. A servant does not know a master's business. Have you ever considered that perspective? That Jesus shows up and he says, you are my friends. See, I think most of us are live our lives on the other half where we are on a need-to-know basis. Any of you ever been on a need-to-know basis? Somebody said to you, hey, you're on a need-to-know basis, and guess what? Right now, you don't need to know. Maybe you were in junior high or high school, and you can remember walking up to a few of your friends, and it looked like they were having an important conversation, and you think, I should be part of this. So you walk up, and you say, hey, what are you talking about? And they say, nothing. Or maybe you walked up to your friends and they're having this important conversation and you've probably had this experience. All of a sudden you walk up and everyone stops talking. And you're like, you want to fill me in? And they just don't say a word. And you can remember what it was like. Those walls suddenly go up when you're not included in the conversation. There's this weight within your heart that says, what, you don't think I'm worth it? You don't think I'm worth being part of this conversation? Some of you have important jobs and some of you, um, you know, make important decisions at your workplace. And I would say that there are occasions where you've been included in important conversations, but maybe there was a time when your boss or your manager or the people that lead you gathered everyone else around you that you typically hang out with and you typically talk with. They pulled them into the office and you knew they were making important decisions about your business, but you weren't included. And you're thinking, am I going to get the pink slip? Are they going to be firing me? Like, why can't I be in on this conversation? Hey, you're on a need-to-know basis. Or maybe you've had this experience. You ever have friends that meet other friends that are your friends, and you find out that they've been hanging out, but they're not hanging out with you? Does that make sense at all? Shake your head. Okay. You ever had that experience and this feeling of, what? I'm not, I'm not good enough to be with you. I'm not good enough to be around you. You're on a need-to-know basis. See, this is the whole point Jesus is making. He's saying, don't you understand that up to this point in history, y'all have been on a need-to-know basis. This is how God's treated their people. You didn't have a say. You didn't get an opinion. You were a servant, and you were not privy to the master's business at all. In fact, here's how it worked. You make me happy. You appease me. You just do whatever I asked you to do from a God's perspective. And if you don't, I will let you know, and I'll just strike you dead, along with your children. I'll burn you up, you know, catch you on fire, everything else. This is how God's worked back then. And you were always serving, you were always trying to appease. But Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I want you to understand there's something different. And he makes the first friend request in history and he says, everyone's invited. 
People who follow me, people who hate me, people who can't stand me, people that like me, you, me, everyone around us. He says, y'all are invited to this party. And what I love about this thought is that Jesus has made his way to you and to me. And he opens himself up and he wants us to know the deepest part of who he is, just like those moments on Facebook. He is trying to give us a glimpse into his life. And what he's really trying to do is give us a glimpse into what God looks like. And so he continues by saying this. He says, I have called you my friends for everything that I have learned. And I put in parentheses, sounds like these are my notes. You get to look at my notes. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? If somebody says, I'm sharing with you everything that I've learned. There are some of you that have gone to school for 10 years. You still don't know any, everything. There are some of you sitting in here with Mensa cards. You may be the smartest person in Joliet or in the state of Illinois or in the world. You still don't know everything. And Jesus says to his friends, he says, I've called you friends and, and I'm teaching you everything that I have learned about God, about my father. He said, all this, all this, only because you're my friends, I've made known to you. And so at this point, you should be asking this question. Wait a minute. What is it? that God wants us to know about him. Like if God existed, if he really is out there, like this is what you should be asking right now, what is it that he wants us to know and understand? And so as Jesus extends his friend request to you, and as Jesus makes his way to you, he has this conversation with the one that he's letting us know even more about, and he says this, he says, hey, Father, I want those you have given me. I want all my friends, everybody that I've invited to be part of this, everybody that I've pursued because I think they're worth it. He says, I want them to be with me where I am. In other words, I want you to know what I know. I want you to experience what I've experienced. I want to give you what's been given to me. And he says, I want them to be with me where I am and to see the glory the glory I have made known to you. He says, I think he continues here. Are we lost here? Yeah. He said, all those you have given me. He wants his glory to be made known. He says this, and this is so important. Jesus is speaking to his father. He says, God, you have loved me before the creation of the world. This is what I know. This is what I've experienced. This is everything that I could ever fathom about God, the Father, the one who calls me his son, is that he loved me before anything existed. I don't know if you know this, but most creation stories start with violence and they end with death. They start with violence and they end with death. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm letting you in on a secret here. You are in the know about something that many people can't perceive or even begin to understand. And it's that God moved what you and I experience every day forward because of his love. 
I don't know if you know this, but God could not give. There are some things that God cannot do. God could not give what he did not have. God could not give what he did not have. And he says, hey, listen. I've experienced the love of my God. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because he has shared it with me. And because of that, I'm asking you to do something else. In fact, Jesus, when he says, you are my friends, he has this huge if. right? You have these friends. As long as you don't make some political statement your friends don't agree with, you know, as long as you don't show too many pictures of things that nobody cares about, right? You've been unfriended because you've done those things. So we think this is what Jesus is saying, right? You are my friends if, I didn't tell you this part. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. If you do what I command. And he says, the command is to love each other. In other words, the command is to make your way to other people because those people are worth it. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is the whole point. This is why I was talking about social media and friend requests is you can't give what you don't have. You can't give which you don't have. I know this is a difficult point, and so I'm going to try to make it by sharing a story about my son. Um, as Dan already shared, it was uh, Emrys' birthday this week, and my birthday. We share the same birthday. Um, but my, my kids were up at 5 in the morning, and I went out, and all the lights were turned out, but I could hear them talking, and, and I couldn't find them because it was dark, and, and I see that there's this blob laying in the middle of the floor, and they're underneath this blanket, and so I walk up, and they hear me coming, and so they're really still. It's like bird box all over again. And so I just kind of give them a little nudge with my foot, and I say, what are y'all doing in there? And they don't respond to me. Like, if, he can't, if we can't see him, he can't see us. So I nudge him again, and I said, hey, what are you guys doing in there? They didn't respond. So I, I, I was getting a little irritated at five in the morning. I said, hey, what are you doing at this point? And they said, we're playing, playing video games, Dad. <laughs> I said, it's five in the morning. You need to go to bed. So they get up. They go to their rooms. I go back to my room. I'm heading back to sleep. And I kid you not, 15 minutes later, I hear these yahoos walk out. They flip on the kitchen lights. They start, I mean, it was like Buddy the Elf. You could hear scissors going. You could hear paper flying. You could hear uh, cabinet doors opening. You could hear the microwave going off. You could hear plates and silverware being brought out. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so I'm, you know, just, it's just so noisy. I can't sleep anymore. So I get up. And, of course, Miles is peeking around the corner, you know seeing it when I'm going to get up, and he's got a big smile on his face. And when I walk out, when I walk out, hanging over the doorway was, it was a nice way of saying happy birthday, but for some reason, Miles drew two pictures of tanks shooting each other with happy birthday underneath it. <laughs> and then he wrote, you know, H on one piece of paper, and A, and, and they hung it up, and, and they drew a bunch of Fortnite characters. And, and my favorite gift, though, out of the whole birthday, was... I walked to the end of the table, and there was this glass of milk like Santa Claus, you know, sitting there. And there was an English muffin. 
It had not been put in the toaster. It had not been cut. This is a picture of it. It wasn't. It was just an English muffin, and Carter had put frozen blueberries connected with peanut butter. Now, I don't know a little secret here. You've got kids. You've seen where your kids' hands go. You don't have kids yet. Do not eat it. You know, thank them for it. Appreciate them. But don't eat the food. But, but I, and I love it. It says, Dad, this is one of your presents. Happy birthday. Love, Carter. And it's not like Janelle instructed them to do all this. She just said, hey, your dad's birthday is tomorrow. You know, they don't know what day it is. Nobody does. And they get up. And they make all these preparations as a way of saying, Dad, happy birthday. We love you. And my point is this. They can't give what they don't have. I mean, the big part of our kid's life, the big equation is their mother. I can't really take responsibility for any of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I feel like we do the best we can at expressing how much we love our boys. And the only reason they would get up on my birthday to show me how much they love me is because they've received it somewhere else. And that's the only way they know how to express it. And this is Jesus' point. Every friendship that you have, every moment where you've experienced some connection with somebody, where, where love exists, existed well before you ever were alive. It existed way before you and me. And it existed before everything that we see. It existed before the creation of the world. Every moment we experience now that is built with relationships and grace and love and forgiveness began before creation. Because God loved you and me and his son Jesus before the creation. Before the creation of the world. And I want you to know that when Jesus shows up, he is expressing that God is through him making his way to you. God is pursuing you. And so this is what I want you to know. I've already said it. You can't argue your way to God. If you're not interested in this conversation, I can't make you hear it. I can't make you believe it. I can't make you see it. But the only case that I can make is that God is making his way to you. You cannot argue your way to God, but you can argue that God is making his way to you. And he calls you friends. And I'll be honest, for the first time in my relationship with God, it's the first time that I've considered that Jesus looks at me and says, you're worth it. You're my friend. And maybe that's the invitation that you need. And, and maybe you've been in church your whole life or you've not been in church at all, but maybe that's the question you're asking, does God exist? And does he really even like me to begin with? Start here. You are my friend. So here's what I want you to do this week. Almost all of you have social media accounts, right? I would hope so. As you get on social media this week and people begin to friend request you, maybe even people you don't like, just maybe consider saying yes for the benefit of them. But if when you receive those requests, may it be a reminder 
every time you hear that ding or every time you see that number or every time you receive an email letting you know that, hey, you've, you've received a request from so-and-so, may it be a reminder that God is pursuing you. And not only that, but he gives you all the power in the relationship. He lets you choose. It didn't work that way with other gods. The gods told you how to live. This one says, hey, you're my friend and you get to choose whether you accept it or not. So let it be a reminder that God's pursuing you. On the other end, if you decide, hey, I'm gonna send a friend request to somebody this week, may it be a reminder of how humbling it is and how exposed you feel when, when you begin to share the deepest parts of your life with somebody else because you're sharing the depths of who you are with them. May it be a reminder that this is how God relates to you. That he is opening himself up. He is making everything known. You don't even have to go to seminary, theological classes. You don't have to do any of that to understand what God knows and what Jesus knows. That you're his friend.